0: God's grace, his mercy, and his peace be with you today from God our Father and the Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. On Palm Sunday, we remember how our Lord Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And that is in fulfillment of the prophecy that Zechariah, the prophet, in about 520 BC was uh, received by the Holy Spirit. And he wrote this down and it's written, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and riding on a donkey, on on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, just think of it. That was preached over 500 years before it came to pass in John chapter 12, which we just read a moment ago. The next day, a great crowd who had come to the feast heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand this at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that this had been written of him, And had been done to him. Isn't that great? That we have a God who tells us these things ahead of time. Then brings them to pass in Jesus. So that we may know and be of great assurance that this Jesus indeed is the Christ. The Savior of the world. The Son of God. That's fantastic. And on Palm Sunday we remember Jesus came as what? King. Righteous and having salvation. And... Also, humble, right? Sitting on a donkey and a colt, the full of a donkey. So, today I'd like to talk with you about humility, about being humble. Anybody here not humble today? Anybody humble? Who's the hum- most humble of us all? <laughs> all right, if you raise your hand, you're not humble. <laughs> what does it mean to be humble? Do you think sometimes we might under- misunderstand what that means? Uh, what do we need to do to be humble, and why is it so important for us to be so? Jesus speaks repeatedly of this in his earthly ministry. Well, today, our humble king, Jesus, is going to teach us about humility in the last of our parables in this sermon on the parables of Jesus, the parable of the unworthy servants from Luke chapter 17. So let's take a look then at that parable, and read it and see what Jesus would teach us about a humble heart before God. Luke chapter 17, verse 7 to 10. Jesus, here we are, will any one of you who has a servant or a slave, that is, can be translated, plowing or keeping sheep, say to him when he's coming from the field, come at once and sit down at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and gird yourself and serve me? And uh, till I eat and drink, and afterward you shall eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you've done all that is commanded, you say, we are unworthy servants, we have done only that which was our duty. So there's the parable. What's Jesus teaching us here? Jesus is teaching us the attitude that he wants us to have toward God as God's servants even in modern times. Let's see if you can answer these questions. See if you're with me. Does a lowly bellboy at the Hilton Hotel meet Mr. Hilton himself in the conference room and expect, expect Mr. Hilton to come and bring him a cup of coffee? Answer? No. I say it with some gusto here. Thank you. Does a lowly private in the army coming in from a field exercise kick off his boots and tell, expect the general to come and serve him dinner? All right, does a lowly slave unannounced appear unannounced before his king and expect that king to get down on his knees and serve him? Answer. No. no. And nothing has changed from the days of Jesus. He says here, will any one of you who has a slave plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, come at once and sit down at table? Will he not rather say, prepare supper for me and gird yourself and serve me? till I eat and drink, and afterwards you shall eat and drink? Certainly, that's the way it always works, right? The lower serves the higher. The slave serves the king. The bellboy serves the CEO. Uh, the private serves the general. And Jesus is telling us, this is the, to be your attitude when you come before God. Remember who he is. Remember who you are. When you come before God, he is your God. He is your creator. He is your king. And you are his lowly servant, and you are a sinner, saved by grace, and so you should come with an air of humility uh, before your God, and not boasting in your own works, and how great you are, and what a fabulous person you are, but actually, as Jesus says, when you have done all that was commanded you, say, we are but unworthy servants, we've done only what was our duty. Don't you love that word? You got to say it kind of like one of the British sea captain's duty. Duty is a word we don't often use much in the modern world, and it's really fallen into disuse and disgrace, but it's a great word. It means to do what ought to have been done. It's a Christian's duty, always to bring glory to our King, God, praise to Jesus Christ, and serve each other in lowly humility as servants. Imagine if you have a a lowly sailor and he's in a great battle like World War II or something and he saves the ship and he comes before his admiral. He should come before his admiral and say, you know, sir, I'm but a lowly sailor. I did only what was my duty. And what's the admiral going to do? Promote him. If he comes before his admiral and says, oh, look at what a great guy I am. The whole world owes me a big debt of gratitude. I should be number one. What's the admiral going to do to him? Throw him down into the brig. All of his good works will be entirely spoiled. And so Proverbs 27, God says to you and to me, let another person praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Do not boast of yourself. Let another person boast and promote you. Let the admiral promote the lowly sailor, not the lowly sailor himself. And so Jesus is after an attitude of humility here before us. A right attitude to have before God and our fellow man. Jesus says, take the low position, be humble. Why is that so important for us to hear? I mean, it should be obvious we, we believe this. The reason we need to hear this is because <laughs> we wrestle with that. There is this pride, this desire to exalt ourselves in every human being. Uh, anybody here not proud today? Uh, anybody the humble person? Okay, if you say that, well, you're probably being proud. It's our old sinful nature. Everyone wants to exalt himself above his fellow man. Just think of how it works in the world. An athlete is not content to be an athlete. He wants the Heisman Trophy glory. Right? A businessman wants to be in the cover of Forbes magazine. A sailor, the captain of the ship, an actor, a star at the Academy Awards, even a housewife wants to be better and keep a better house than all the other women around her. Number one. We can see that even in the saints. Peter, James, John, you'd think they would be the best. But we read in Luke 9, an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Picker, 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 picker. Arguing, vying for the number one spot before Jesus. I'm better than you are. No, I'm better than you are, James. No, I'm better than you are, says Peter. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts of their hearts, he took a child and put him by his side and said, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you is the one who is great. Great reversals with God. He dealt with this with families. They just didn't get it. Remember the mother of the sons of Zebedee come to Jesus and she says, can I ask you something, Jesus? What is it that you want? Grant that these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and your left in the kingdom, exalted, seated above everybody else. He didn't, she didn't know what she was asking. Matthew 26, Jesus says to his disciples, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, and the scripture must be fulfilled, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But Peter declares... Though they all fall away, I will never fall away, Jesus. Scripture, even prophecy, can't stop me. I'm the best, better than all these other yahoos over here. But what do we know? Just an hour or two later, he began to invoke a curse on himself and swear, I never knew the man. What do we learn? Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit goes before a fall. But in Proverbs 15 says, humility goes before honor. Exalt yourself, you go down. Humble yourself, you go up. Do you think that's even in churches? I've heard, I haven't really experienced this myself, but pastors who go to conferences meet other pastors. Well, how big is your church? I have about 100 in mine. Only 100? I have 4,000 in mine. That kind of thing. Lord, which one of us is the greatest? But when we have done all, Jesus says, you're to say you're unworthy of servants. We've only done what was his, our duty. And he preaches this parable against pride. Pride is dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. And that's why Jesus preaches with repeated zeal all the way through his ministry against pride. And he preaches a humble heart before God. Do you have a humble heart before God and before your fellow man? Are you willing to get down on your knees And serve even someone you consider to be beneath you? Why is Jesus so insistent on this attitude? Why is it so important and why is pride so dangerous? Well, consider this. Number one, pride was the first mother of all sins. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? What was the temptation that the devil gave to Eve and to Adam? Eat this fruit and you're going to be like God. Why you set on for this low position? Why don't you exalt yourselves? God's holding out on you. Be number one yourselves. And how did God deal with pride in the garden? He booted them out of the garden with a flaming sword to guard the way to the tree of life that they should never return. God will not abide with pride in his garden. And guess what? We're all children of Adam and Eve, right? Anybody not a child of Adam and Eve? What's Luther say about that? He calls it an apple, the forbidden fruit. He says, the apple still lies heavy in everybody's stomach, causing constant belching. (laughs) I wondered whether I should do that or not. (laughs) And will not be digested, says Luther. For even the true saints still have at least something of this core in them, this desire to be number one, pride, to be higher than your fellow man, to rule them with an iron fist. It's in each and every one of us. It's very quick. And you know the pride, you often don't know it's in you. It's so sneaky. God, secondly, will not a pride abide with pride in heaven. Consider what happened to Satan. It says in Ezekiel 28, You are blameless in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings. God drove Satan from uh, from heaven because of pride. And he threw down and cast down all his angels with him and committed them to pits of nether gloom to be kept until the judgment of the great day because of pride. Mark, then, how God judges against pride here. And does this not cause you pause and scare you? Away from pride? Thirdly, pride spoils everything, doesn't it? When you become proud, it makes you odious and smelly to everybody around you. Consider an athlete, for example, who wins the game and everybody applauds him. He gets up to the microphone afterwards and he says, Yeah, I'm the best and all you crowd. Shame on you. I'm number one. Well, all of a sudden, all of their applause turns into what? They want to throw this guy under the bus because pride spoils his athletic abilities. A great musician plays before his crowd. He asks them to sing, and he tells them, you all can't sing where the hill of beans. Listen to me. All of a sudden, pride spoils his musical abilities, and his music sounds like the screeching of an old cat. How about a housewife who keeps a spotless house but then tells her neighbor, I keep it twice as good as your house. All of a sudden, pride spoils her cleanliness. And a Christian who has a gift, let's say, in the freedom of the gospel of abstaining from alcohol. He chooses to do that. But then he looks down his nose at a drunk on the street. All of a sudden, that makes all of his abstinence, his righteous abstinence, stink worse than an old beer bottle. Because pride spoils abstinence. Luther said in his day, the nuns to him stank to high heaven for their pride. For they boasted of their chastity. We've never had sex because Christ alone is our husband. Therefore, we're better than other women. You know what Luther says, and he gives a little apology. He says, God would rather then go down to the whorehouse in town and choose a wife from there, for at least there he might find a humble soul to whom he might re-preach repentance from her sins and faith in the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ, and cleanse her to make us his bride. Because pride spoils chastity as well. In fact, pride, friends, spoils everything. And it makes you odious to your neighbor, and it makes you odious to God. And yet we can't stand it in somebody else but how easily we tolerate pride in our own hearts. But Jesus says, when you come before God the king, say we are unworthy servants we have done but was what was our duty so beware the world is going to teach you the opposite of what i'm saying to you today if you want to be great exalt yourself seek after your own glory if you would be great exalt yourself get a watch this now self help book teaches self love self esteem self-promotion, self-exaltation. You might even go down to the store and find (laughs) self-magazine. Wake up, gorgeous. Overnight, skin fixes. (laughs) Self, self, self. Do you think we're living in the generation of the promotion of self, which is contrary, the opposite of what God says? It says of the last days in 2 Timothy 3, Jesus Paul says, in the last days, there'll come times of stress, for men will be lovers of self, proud, arrogant, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And Jesus says, wrong again. That's the opposite of the truth. If you would be great, do not go high, go low, exercise yourself in humility, place yourself beneath others, under them. That will make you great in my kingdom. For consider, even I myself, your king, humbled myself, took off my clothes, girded myself with a towel, and washed the feet of the disciples. And that's to be the example for all of my Christians in the world. Is that your example? For beware, pride, remember, leads to destruction. Let me say it more plainly to hell. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Therefore, Jesus in his day met the same kind of things we made today. He says, beware the scribes. Beware those Pharisees who like to go about in long robes, love the best seats in the marketplaces and the places of honor at feasts, who for a, you know, devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They'll receive the greater condemnation. What does he mean, condemnation? He's talking about the judgment of the great day, the great day. Last day of judgment, they will be brought further low than anybody else. Why? Because they exalted themselves above others. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that's high and lifted up, Isaiah 2. And Isaiah 2 again says, the haughty looks of man, listen, shall be brought low, and the pride of man shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Do you exalt in the Lord? Isn't it going to be great on that day when Jesus comes and all the humble of the world can say, to him be the glory, to Jesus be it all. Our knees bow joyfully before him. Only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Hooray! Right? But all the proud of the earth will grind their teeth and bend their knees and have to confess him as Lord before being sentenced to damnation. Humility, we read, goes before honor. It says in Proverbs 18... A lowly sailor who saves the ship and puts his life on the line but takes a low seat will be promoted by the admiral and highly honored. And Jesus says, therefore, turn and become like children. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. In the Greek, that's a double negative. In other words, you will no wise in any way ever enter the kingdom of heaven unless you receive it like a child. Whoever humbles himself like this child humbles is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven so how do you receive the kingdom of God you got to do it humbly and how do you do that you don't go to God saying hey look at my own righteousness or let me pay you for that I'm sure I can buy it of you kind sir or boasting in your own merits or strength or worthiness you go there as a sinner to be saved by grace a child can't pay you for anything right in fact they're still not paying you for anything right (laughs) A child could only receive things as a gift, humbly, and the right response to the child is to simply receive it and say, thank you. And this is how we receive the kingdom of God from God, for no human being will be justified on God's side by works of the law, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. You can't get there on your own righteousness, merits, worthiness. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as an expiation by his blood to be received by faith. Let's do that right now. Do you receive the kingdom of God like a child? Do you receive it humbly? Will you receive it as a gift? If so, say amen. Amen. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Say amen. Do you boast in your own merits? Say no. No. Do you boast in Jesus' righteousness? Say amen. Amen. That's to receive it as a child and with all humility. Humility goes before honor, and it leads to life. What does it mean then to be humble in your life? You know, we get this poison, I think, perhaps, sorry to say, but from some Roman Catholic imagery, that in order to be humble in your life, you've got to take a little stick or a you know, a, a rope, and sit there and flail yourself on the back, flail yourself on the back, and go around as a dark, dismal, depressed person. Oh, I, I'm so unworthy. I can't do anything right. I stink. I'm lousy. I have no confidence in myself. Oh, woe is me. Is that what it is to be humble? A lot of us can have that misunderstanding, but it simply means that you're to consider yourself rightly as a servant. That's what you are. And to think with sobered judgment, not to think more highly of yourself than you should, but to count others better than yourselves and take the low position of a servant. If you have gifts, consider what Paul says. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Does that sound dark and dismal to you? No. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Does that sound like... Uh, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Boy, it sounds like being humble is a very strong thing. In God's eyes, it means to be rejoicing. It means to be confident. If you've been given gifts, you shouldn't say, oh, well, I don't know if I can really use my gifts. I guess maybe God could maybe use me, but... uh." No, if you have gifts, rejoice in them. Say, I'm strong because of the gifts God has given me. I'm going to use them to bring praise to Jesus. And I'm not going to be stopped by anything, for he strengthens me. That kind of attitude goes with humility, because you're not exalting yourself, you exalt Jesus Christ to so be confident, be joyful, be comforted, be peaceful, and be happy as a Christian, but be humble, take the form of a servant. And why especially? Because that is what Jesus our King has done. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he's equal, he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped or to exalt himself in, But he humbled himself. He took the form of his servant. He was born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, um, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even death on a cross, he went down, down, down. And what has God done to him? Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So he went down, 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 and God said, I will put you up, up, up. And that is to be the example for each and every one of us. And to praise him with loud shouts. Far be it from me, says Paul, to glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, once more, unto the priest, dear friends, once more, let's go back to that that word from Luke chapter 17, the parable, it tells us about what our attitude is supposed to be toward God, doesn't it? I want to ask you this question. Does it tell us what God's attitude is toward us, though? No, it's telling us about our attitude of humble service to God. It doesn't tell us about God's attitude toward us. For that, we look to this word from Luke 12. Jesus says, Let your loins be girded and your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the marriage feast, so that when, so that they may open to him at once when he comes and knocks. Watch this, you with me? Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will gird himself and have them sit at table and he will come and serve them. That is God's attitude towards you. So he will say, Come up here, friends. Why are you sitting so low? Sit with me on my throne. Come, reign with me. What will be done for the man to whom, whom the king delights to honor? Sit with me and reign with me, says your king. For I dwell in a high and a holy place, and also, also with him who is contrite and of a humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite. Therefore, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that in due time he may exalt you. For the last day is a day of great reversals. What is high goes low, and what is low will go high. For the king delights in humility. Yes, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, daughter of Jerusalem, lo, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt the fall of a donkey amen